I do encourage you, if, if you're a little bit behind on the readings, um, you know what? Now's a great time to switch, to just jump, skip a little bit. Like if you're only two days behind, just read up. But if you're a month behind, just skip. Um, otherwise, you'll be constantly guilty. <laughs> That's fine as well. Do two readings at a shot and it'll take you two years. Perfect. Um, in fact, the second volume in the book that you have, you'll notice the, the little devotion. The first volume focuses on the first two readings and the second volume focuses on the second two readings. Right. Thank you, Colin, so much. It is wonderful for us to come together as family to share the body and the blood of Christ, which he poured out as a sacrifice for many. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can come. Lord, though we are few in number this morning, we are here because you are our God and we are your children. Lord, we are here because we want to honor you. We want to see you lifted up and recognized as the mighty one in our lives and in our suburbs. Father, we do ask that you would use us even as your church here, that you would grow your kingdom in Golden Bay and Secret Harbor and Singleton. But Lord, thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that you have words of eternal life, holy words. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that this faith to which we hold is one that has been held for many, many years. For the trustworthiness of the saints of the past who were willing to die even for this faith. But most of all, Father, we thank you that you are the one who has called us. That you are the one who has brought us together. That you are the one who has chosen to adopt us as your children. And in the end, Father, our highest joy is in knowing that the one who has called us is faithful. I pray, Lord, that this morning as we look at these last few verses of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears, Lord, that that we would hear. And Father, I I pray that this would not just be some words that that we sit for a while and and then walk away. Lord, I I pray that these words would would sink deeply into our hearts, Lord, and and into the very fibers of our muscles, that, that we would take these thoughts that you gave Paul to give to the Thessalonians and to us and that they would seep into all that we are, that we would be changed by what we hear, that it would be for the benefit of your kingdom and for the benefit of your community and for the growth of your church here. Holy Spirit, I I ask that you would speak through me this morning. And speak into the lives and the hearts of all of us. Amen.
Thessalonians is just a fantastic letter. Have, have you guys enjoyed Thessalonians? It is just such a letter full of encouragement and uplifting. And I mean, this is a church that was going through a horrible things, as Colin said to us. And yet, in this letter to them, it's just full of joy and happiness. And, and just, I, I want to smile as I read the letter to the Thessalonians. And they've got their problems. We know that because Paul writes another letter to them and they've still got their problems. But in the end, they're a church where despite everything, despite appearances to the contrary even, God was at work and amazing things were happening. And we come now to the last little bit of chapter 5 and, and maybe as, as Colin read it, you thought to yourself, wow, Okay, Paul's coming to the fluff at the end of the letter. You know when you write somebody a letter or an email or whatever, you just you say what you want to say and then you think, oh, I really have to be polite. And, and you say, blah de blah de blah how's Auntie Jane? How's Uncle Bob? Blah, blah, blah. And it, it, I mean, it's, it's good stuff here, but, but it, it reads almost just like a list of stuff that he dot points. Um, be joyful, pray, be thankful, don't quench the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, it just seems a bit disjointed, doesn't it? No? Maybe it's just me. Well, I'm glad if it doesn't, because I want to tell you how I think it is not disjointed. You see, all the way as we've been looking through Thessalonians, we've been seeing different aspects of the Christian community. Different aspects of what it is to be the church of God in a particular place, at a particular time. And I think here, as we come to the end of Thessalonians, what Paul is bringing together for us is what life in the Christian community actually looks like. And he's got three areas that he looks at. He says, let's, let's talk about life in the Christian community in terms of the leaders of the church. And then we'll talk in terms of, of all the people in the church uh, fellowshipping with one another. And finally, let's talk about worship in the church of God. Now, let me preface what I'm about to say is that I feel always uncomfortable talking about leadership in the church. It's the kind of thing pastors don't like preaching on themselves. I don't think. Certainly I don't. But what is Paul saying here? Let's have a look. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 5. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and they give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their love, because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Now we all know the history of the church has swung from two extremes when it comes to leadership in the church. Uh, for many, many years it was the sort of, the leaders are the ones who do everything. And if you're a clergyman, well, you do all the work, you do all the outreach, you do all the preaching, you do all the teaching, you do, you just, you do the stuff. And then it swings. And then sometimes through history it becomes... We don't need any leaders. We are a priesthood of believers. Which is true. 
But, but notice what Paul does here, and in fact, in all of the churches which he establishes. Paul says, we are a priesthood of believers. All of us together serve the Lord, serve one another, and yet there are still within the church, uh, there's a leadership structure. We know that two of the Thessalonians leaders were Aristarchus and Secundus. And I really feel sorry for Secundus. Because what sort of mother names her child Second? I mean, really. (laughs) And I wonder, why did Paul write this instruction about honoring and respecting the leaders in the church? It's possible that Timothy came back and uh, said to him, there's a problem here. Either the leaders have been trying to conduct themselves as shepherds of the flock and the people have been kicking against it. Or else the leaders have been overbearing and unpleasant. Both of which are problems and both of which what Paul says here addresses. What does Paul say? He says, hold your leaders in the highest regard. For three reasons. One, they work hard among you. A number of people that I've had come to me say, well, you only work on a Sunday, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Not, Not people here. Not usually Christians even. But there is that sort of thought that this is an easy job. And sometimes you have wonderful weeks where it is wonderfully easy. But the pastorate, let me tell you, and anyone who's been involved in that sort of work would agree that there are times when it is very, very hard work. What does Paul go on to say? You see, this is why I don't like talking about it, because it's just how it is. Paul goes on to say, the leaders in the church are those who are over you in the Lord Jesus It doesn't mean that the leaders are standing tall and above and looking down their noses at those in the church. I mean, Jesus Christ himself said that that those who lead are supposed to be the humble ones. He himself stepped down from the position where he alone could look down on us and became a servant. And he said, as he washed their feet, he said, "You you should do likewise. You should serve one another. And yet, there is also this element of of God placing leaders in the church to be over the church, as as I, I think what Paul is getting at is as a father is over his children. Basically, what Paul is, is speaking about, and the word that he uses there has got this idea of caring for those. In the church. Over them in the Lord. Means caring for them. For the Lord's sake. Finally says Paul. What Christian leaders in the church do. And by the way. This is not just a pastor. This is an elder. This is a deacon. This is a Bible study leader. 
This is anyone who works hard, who stands in a position of caring, and finally, who admonishes. Which isn't just ticking people off, by the way, for which I am eternally grateful. Literally, the word that he uses means to put in mind. So to correct when somebody has incorrect thinking, but but also to instruct them in right thinking. So to admonish a church is to say, this is how God wants us to live. Paul, this whole letter has been a letter of admonishment to the church. Sometimes you guys shouldn't do this. Sometimes you should do this. You should live to please God. Last week, for example. So what does Paul say congregations should do for these leaders? Well, first off, he says they should respect those who are actually doing the work. Do you notice what he says there? Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because they have the title of leader. That's not what it says. And I'm looking at a couple of you nodding away with me. (laughs) Honor them and show them great respect because, verse 13, of their work. of their work. And you notice how Paul has addressed both possible imbalances here. He's basically told the leaders that they are to work themselves hard for the sake of the church. And he's told the church to identify the leaders who are working hard and to show them honor and respect. Then he goes on in verse 13 and says, live peacefully with each other. See, when you've got this How do we describe it? Let's call it love. When you've got this leadership of love and the response of love, what do you get? You get a people at peace. Live peacefully with one another. How? By working hard, caring for the leaders, by admonishing and instructing, and by appreciating that. If you haven't told your Bible study leader recently how much you appreciate them, tell them. If you don't think the deacons are admonishing you enough, admonish them. (laughs) And the same goes for me. Admonish me. And I might just admonish you as well. You see, every church, every community has to have a structure so that the church can be edified and built up. 
But the amazing thing is that it's not about the leadership, it's about the fellowship. Which is where Paul goes in verse 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 to the end of the chapter. And I should just tell you from this point onwards, when Paul speaks, he speaks in plurals. He's speaking to all of us. He says here, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. You know, it's, it's a guaranteed fact. Let's just say uh, death, taxes, and there will be people in the church who need special help. There will be people in the church who are going through times of grief. There will be people in the church who are going through times of doubt. And there will be people in the church who just drive you up the wall. (laughs) And there will be people in the church who step out of line. And who are unruly. In fact, when Paul says, warn those who are idle, the word idle there is is a military term, and it means someone who is marching out of time or out of line with the rest of the people. And what does Paul say? He says, warn them. Who should warn them? Should it it be the, the pastor or the elder or the deacon? No, he says, brothers and sisters... Warn those people. As in stand alongside them and say, are you aware that you are walking outside of the will of God in this area? Are you aware that what you are doing is is contrary to the benefit of the church, that you are hurting the body? It's not a, I accuse you. It's a, I, I just want to warn you because I care for you. Because I see that that you are straying away from the path. And I wonder if you think, and remember, I know I can think of several people over the course of my life who have needed warning. But Paul goes on and says, encourage the timid. Encourage those who are timid. Those who perhaps are doubting or worried or afraid. sad or just don't have confidence you know the example in the letter to the Thessalonians is those who thought that their loved ones who died weren't going to be with the Lord and reading between the lines it seems that their their whole faith was put under question by this problem is, what, how does it work? And what does Paul say? He says, 
as the body of Christ in this world, we are to encourage the timid. You know what, there are going to be times when all of us are timid. And in those times, what we need the most is a brother or sister in Christ coming alongside us, putting their arms around us and saying, we are here with you. And you're not walking this road alone. And more importantly, let me share with you what I have learned about God's goodness and faithfulness. The timid need to be reminded. And it's all of our responsibility to do it. Which means, by the way, we need to spot when somebody is feeling timid. He goes on and says, help the weak. Those who perhaps just their faith is poor. They, or or maybe, maybe, maybe it's just normal weakness. Paul says, look out for them. Help them. And summing it all up, he says, be patient with everyone. Which must have been such a useful thing for him to say to the church in Thessalonica. Because if you are facing pressure all day, every day, from the outside and then inside you've got these people who just need attention, it's quite easy to become impatient. And sometimes it's easy for us to become impatient. But says Paul, be patient. And why? Because, well, God has been so patient with us. And he still is. Says Paul, when somebody does something wrong to us, temptation is to do wrong back to them. But that's not the way the church of God is meant to be. The church of God, when something does somebody wrong, something wrong to us, we do not return it with wrong, but with right and with goodness and with kindness and with love. That's got to be that way in the church. Because people are going to upset us and people are going to make us angry and people are going to make us just so frustrated. But says Paul, return that with love. And by the way, not just people in the church, but somebody who is trying to kill you, he says to the Thessalonians, return that with love. And when somebody outside the church mocks you, For coming to church, return that with love. It's almost like like we're a machine. You put in whatever you want and out comes love. That's, That's what the church looks like. It should look like that. This is why Paul says to us, be like that. should look like that.
but does it? We need to work at it, I think. And praise be to the Lord that he works within us to form us into this. And do you remember what I said just a minute ago? Is that all of these verses are addressed to us in the plural. And one of the ways we can encourage each other and help the weak is, is when our weakness is to respond in anger. To spot that beforehand and come alongside and, and just sort of say, hey, just remember how much God loved us. We have been forgiven much. Can we not also forgive much? So Paul's told us that we've got the leadership of the church to care for the church and we've got the fellowship of the church to care for the church. It's basically what he's covered. Caring for the church. And then he says right at the end, well, what does the church actually look like when they get together? What does the church do? As the church together, remember, all plural at the moment. Well, he says, there's a few things that the church does. And, and let's, let's sum it up and say that the church at the end is all about worshipping God. You won't find the word worship in there, by the way. But that's what he's about. What does he say? He says here, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. And again I say rejoice. By the way, they're going to come and burn your house down tomorrow. Rejoice always, Thessalonians. Let's see your smiles. You know what, we need to remember that when Paul says to us to rejoice, he doesn't say to us, be happy. You can't do that. You can't order emotion. You can't command someone to be happy. So what does he mean when he says rejoice always? In the Lord. But in reality as well. And of course in the Lord is reality. <laughs> I think that when Paul says rejoice always. What he means. Is that we should. Worship. Always. We rejoice. Because we know. What reality is. We rejoice because circumstances do not define our ultimate course. We rejoice because God has done so much for us. Bled and died for us. Rose from the dead for us. And so we rejoice. We rejoice because we know the one who owns our souls. And who has promised that he will come back and bring us to himself. 
We rejoice because God is at work for his people. We rejoice because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Just a few verses back, Paul was speaking about those who had died in the Lord. And he says, rejoice even then. Rejoice always. Because death doesn't have the final word. Because we are children of God, rejoice. And how do we rejoice? Is it just a a weird feeling inside of us? We can feel miserable and rejoice. I think rejoicing is coming to God and saying, God, no matter what my circumstances are, I trust you and I know you are good. And that is worship. It's coming to God and saying, God, I am joyful because of you. It's a celebration. Uh, the, the, the band Mercy Me has got a wonderful song. I wonder if I can remember the, the lyrics. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we dance when there seems no reason to? Why do we sing? Why do we shout when there's not much to shout about? When the world is down, who are we to stand and shout? And the world wonders why we do the things we do. It's all because of him. It's all because of this. We've tasted love. We've tasted life. We've tasted holiness. Says Paul, rejoice always. That is the first thing the church does. And keep praying. Pray always. So as you're walking through the shops, It's not just deliberate prayers. I think Henry Nguyen's got it right where he says that to pray always is to think and to live in the presence of God at all times. So practicing the presence of God. To pray always is just to throw a comment to God while we're walking down the street in our heads because he's right there. Or when there's a need, we can just pray straight away. Or as we see the sunset, we say, wow, God, you're amazing. Is that not worship? Giving thanks in all circumstances. Is that not worship? You remember... What Paul said in chapter 4, two weeks ago, that we should be living to please God. Here he tells us what God's will is for us. To be ever joyful, ever praying, ever thankful.
But let's step back. These are all plural words. This is addressed to the whole church, not to us just as individuals. Yes, as individuals, we should be ever joyful, ever praying, ever thankful. But but as a church, we should be ever joyful, ever thankful, ever praying. And this steps back to what he said previously and said we need to help one another and, and, and encourage the timid. So when somebody feels or doesn't seem to have that sense of joy, as the body of believers we come around and we hold them in the Lord. And when somebody's circumstances are so rotten that, that they have nothing They have no desire to thank God. We come around and together we thank God. And they stand with us in that thanks. And I'm sure some of you have been in a place where you just, you can't pray. It's when the church comes around and you stand with the church in prayer. You see, this is the worship of the church. The body of Christ together. God wants us as a church to worship him. To speak with him. And to thank him. But Paul goes on and says there's another thing which the church does. And it's not just about us looking to God. It's about God speaking to us. He says, don't quench the the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to prophecies in the church, well, brilliant. But taste the good ones from the bad ones and stick with the good and chuck out the bad. You see what he's, what he's gone with? He says this is about God's word coming to us and, and letting God's spirit instruct us and teach us. And, and let's just talk about what prophecy is just very quickly. Um, different prophets, prophets today are different to prophets in the Old Testament. Paul tells us that, that the prophets and the apostles are the foundation on which the church is built. They are what we have recorded here in the Bible. But, I want to suggest that there are still prophets today because a prophet is simply one who shares God's will for the people. And quite often, prophecy is is perhaps just a, a way of bringing out something from the word that is appropriate and applicable to the life of somebody today. And sometimes God has something special to say. And and. We Baptists really need to listen to what Paul says and not quench the Spirit when the Spirit wants to speak to us. I think traditionally us Baptists have been very careful of anything that we can't control. As if we could ever control God. But notice Paul's rider. He says we must listen to these prophecies but test them. Test everything. Test what I say. If I'm talking balderdash, don't listen to me. But please come and tell me from where in the scriptures I'm talking balderdash. Because I would love to know. Test everything. But listen to God. That's what the church does. 
It cares for one another. It worships God. Always praying, always thanking. And it hears from God. And it's a conscious hearing, not just a hearing. It's a listening and thinking through and applying. This is what the church should look like. By the Spirit's power, this is what the church will look like and can look like. Now, may the God of peace make use all us together and individually holy in every way. May our whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. God will Make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. My new favorite benediction, by the way. God will make this happen. Because you are such good people and you work so hard and you try to encourage one another so well. No. Do that by all means. God will make this happen because he is faithful. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.